Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Hey, I'm thrilled to welcome back to the program Peter Wenner. He's a contributor to the New York Times opinion section and to the Atlantic, covering American politics and conservative thought. He's also a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He worked in the Reagan White House in the Bush 41 administration and was a senior advisor to George W. Bush's White House. He has a brand new book, and it's called The Death of Politics, How to Heal Our Frayed Republic After Trump. Hey, Peter, thanks so much for being here. It's terrific to be on with you, Michael. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure. I think of you as really being the, the first conservative with portfolio, You know, meaning the, the first conservative with some stature to draw a line, and I think the way you worded it in your case was to say party loyalty has limits. Am I right in my recollection? You write about it in the book. Yeah, that's right. I I think it was January of 2016, and um, I wrote a piece in the New York Times that said that I couldn't vote for Donald Trump 
under any circumstances and, and laid out the reason for that, my concerns, and I think those concerns have been validated uh, over uh, over time. So I was, uh, I, was I guess, the uh, canary in the coal mine. What was the break point for Peter Wenner? Well, I don't know if there was a, a single break point. I mean, when he came down that uh, that escalator at Trump Tower and and began to speak, um, I, I thought this was absurd. I thought it was a, a freak show, and the idea that a person like that would run for president and um, might win the nomination of the Republican uh, Party, I, I, I thought was was inconceivable. But it was just an accumulation, maybe more than an inflection point. It was the it was the cruelty, the dehumanization. Uh, the stunning lack of um, of knowledge and the obvious ignorance on uh, on issues, um, the fact that he didn't seem to take politics um, seriously and he didn't take issues seriously, and I didn't think he took the care of the country um, seriously. So it was it was really an accretion, and the more I saw him, the uh, the more trouble I got. And and as time unfolded, I'll tell you, Michael. Um, it turned into another, and I think in some ways a deeper concern. I, I just thought that the man was emotionally and psychologically unfit to be president. I, I came to the determination uh, that he had a disordered personality. And I've worked in the White House for seven years. I've worked in three administrations. I think I have some understanding of the power of the presidency. And to have a person of that kind of psychological makeup as, uh, as president, I think, is a, is a dangerous thing to do and a bad bet. In the book, you coined the phrase imprisoned by the moment. What does that speak to? Well, I think all of us uh, can be imprisoned in the moments that uh, that we live in. Uh, we're all products of, of that moment. It shapes how we see things and how we view things. Um, and that's understandable. We're all susceptible to that. But you can't be imprisoned by that. You have to be able to step out of them, particularly when you're in moments of, uh, of peril and, uh, and crisis. Um, and we also have to learn to be able to reach back to the past and look to the future and to summon the resources to try and get out of, um, out of the, the box that, uh, that we may be in at any uh, given moment. I think that we're in a, in a very bad moment uh, today. Uh, with, that's what I argue in the book. That's why I call it the death of politics, because I think an important part of politics um, is, is dying. But I also spend a lot of time in the book talking about why politics is worth saving. Um, and how we how we go about uh, about doing that because one of the things that I'm really concerned about I'm, I suspect you are too, which is a, a sense of corrosive cynicism and fatalism, a belief that there's nothing that we can do to make this moment um, better. There's a lot we can do. We're a self-governing country. We're, we're not. Sometimes I think people talk about our political moment as if we're. Uh, afflicted with 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 a lethal disease, and that's really not the situation we're in. It's not easy what we have to do, but it's within our power to do it. This uh, country has faced a lot more difficult times in its past than this one, um, but it really requires us to summon the, the will and the courage to uh, stand up and and to uh, make a defense of things worth defending. I'm I'm going to ask Peter Wenner about some of those solutions in a moment, but I, I want to make this clear. I mean, you, you have conservative bona fides. You did serve three conservative presidents, and you've made clear already the disagreement that you have with, with Donald Trump and the way in which he's gone about his task. I should point out, though, that you recognize that 
he's as much a symptom as a cause of our problems. Whatever it is that's going on out there right now is not all of his doing. The table was sort of set for him by a number of factors that you get into in the death of politics. That's right. Uh, I'm a Trump critic. I, I don't, by the way, deny that everything he's done, uh, that he hasn't done some good things from a conservative perspective. I think I think he has. I just think you have to take him in the totality of his acts. But I do argue in the book that he is as much a symptom as a cause, that there are trends that predated, long predated Donald Trump, the polarization of the country, the increasing acrimony that, that characterizes our um, our politics. The fact that we live in a in a time of tremendous dislocation and challenge, it's probably on the scale in some respects is the Industrial Revolution. Um, some failures of, of the political class, uh, demographic changes, cultural changes, a lot of things were going on. But I think what, what Donald Trump has done is he's taken those trends and made them all worse. If, if, if you wanted to think of it as an analogy, there was a fire that was going on before Donald Trump. And really, ever since he stepped onto the political stage in 2015, and really in some respects before that in 2011 with the, with the birther issue with Barack Obama, He's been pouring kerosene on that fire uh, now on a daily basis, and that uh, is uh, is a terrible and disgraceful thing to do because he's 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 hurting the country, and um, and a president can be forgiven for a lot of things, but somebody who is hurting the country so relentlessly and I think so intentionally uh, has has a lot to answer for. This is Book Club with Michael Smirconish from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive. Then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 
at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. The Michael Smirconish Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM, Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. Words matter. There's a part of your book, and I should point out that Peter Wenner, among the hats he has worn in the past, you were deputy director of speech writing for W, correct? Deputy director of speech writing for, for George W., that's, that's right. So uh, words matter insofar as you point out, with example, and, and you know, you say, I'll, I'll give the examples. We think of Abraham Lincoln less for the Homestead Act than for his second inaugural, quote, with malice toward none, with charity for all. We think of FDR less for the Lend-Lease Act than we do for saying we have nothing to fear but fear itself, JFK, ask not. Uh, Ronald Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It, it, it was really a, a realization for me that we do remember those words over time. Will that apply to Trump as well over time? Will we be looking past the policies and thinking of some of the, you know, Mex- here, I'll give you one that comes to the top of my mind. Mexico sends us its rapists. Yeah. No, I do. I, I think that he will be remembered for his uh, denigration um, and debasement of, of words. Uh, because in the same way that we all know that words can touch the human heart, that they can ennoble us. And so that has to be that if they can ennoble us, they can also debase us. And uh, words can be used, and they can be, and they can be misused. And democracy requires that we honor the culture of words, um, because uh, they, they teach us, they warn us, they inspire us, they defend truth, they seek justice. Um, so they, they, you know, for those of us who are Christians, right, in, in John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word uh, was with God, and the Word was God. So I, I think whether one is a person of faith or not, we all understand, whether it's poetry or letters from loved ones, that those things have power. And I think for Donald Trump, his misuse of words um, is... Uh, is really, really problematic. In, in that chapter on why words matter, I actually locate three things that uh, where I fault uh, Trump. Uh, the least important is the banality of his words. He's said almost nothing that's beautiful or eloquent or, or elegant. His speech actually at D-Day was probably the best speech that he gave, but that would have been Agreed. an average yep. speech. Well, and then, other, and then he wa- uh, then he then he watered it down by by well previously by having done that interview with Laura Ingram, and in, in which he trashed his political opponents. Yeah, no, it's that's that's exactly right. That was a that was a shameful moment to have row after row after row of the headstones of of young people who had been cut down in the prime of their life, and to use that occasion and that setting uh, to go after Robert Mueller, who himself was a war hero, and Nancy Pelosi was disgraceful. But it was so Trumpian. So that's one. It's the banality of the words. The second, and what I think is more serious, is the weaponization of words, the dehumanization, the way in which he uses words, as you mentioned, when he when he attacked the, the uh, undocumented immigrants and speaking of them as, as rapists and killers. But it's gone on and on, uh, targeting journalists who have handicaps, and John McCain as a prisoner of war, and, and women for their looks. So he is constantly dehumanizing people. That, I think, is extremely serious. And the most serious thing is not just his assault on truth, but his effort, in my estimation, to annihilate the concept of truth um, and, uh, and, and the categories of truth. And in the book, I, I mentioned that this was clear during the campaign, but it 
really at the dawn of his presidency when there was the issue of the crowd size for his inaugural and how that how that rated against Barack Obama. Now, in some respects, that's not an important issue at all. Right? It doesn't matter whether Obama had more people or Trump. Those those things can change. But the reason it was significant is that Trump sent out his press secretary, Sean Spicer, um, to deny what we all knew to be true, what we knew empirically to be true. We knew from photographic evidence, from Park Service numbers, that Obama's uh, uh, crowd size was larger than Trump's. And yet they insisted it was not true. And that was an indication of what the Trump mindset was. And it was a green light to his supporters that they can go ahead and that they can attack empirical and demonstrable truth and set it aside. And that is very, very dangerous territory, because if you can't have a common fact basis, if you have people denying the nature of reality in a, in a democratic republic, uh, then politics gets very, very difficult and very, very tricky. And Trump has led that, and uh, to their shame, a lot of people on the right, who for years and years defended objective truth and pushed back against relativism and moral relativism. I remember in the late 1980s, one of the uh, real uh, rock stars in the intellectual conservative movement was Alan Bloom in The Closing of the American Mind, which was a case against moral relativism. The very people who were at the forefront of defending truth as truth are now uh, often defenders of Donald Trump and his assault on truth, and that matters a lot. And the rest of us have to stand up and call it out and uh, and defend truth because uh, truth matters uh, and because um, because our country depends on it. Peter Wenner's book is titled The Death of Politics. Peter, I'll use your metaphor. What is the first pile of clothes that we need to pick up? <laughs> yeah, the, the pile of clothes, just to give uh, listeners a context. A friend years ago told me that when you um, – if you walk into a room and it's utterly disorganized and messy and you feel overwhelmed, he said the first thing you got to do is pick up the uh, the clothes uh, that are at your feet and you do one thing at a time and over time the, the room gets uh, the room gets cleared. And if you want to broaden the metaphor, our political house is out of order and we have to start <clears throat> cleaning it up a room at a time. In terms of what we have to do first, some of it frankly depends on what situations and seasons in life people um, are in, because everybody has something they can do, but some people can do more than, than others and different things than others. I'd say as a general matter, I mean, I list a, a, a lot of things in, in, in the book, and probably the categories that are helpful to think about is the responsibilities one has as a voter, one, that one has as a constituent, and one has as a citizen. And so one of the things we have to do is we have to reward leaders who demonstrate integrity and appeal to our better angels, not not our worst impulses. Um, we have to be participants in, in civic and political life, not not uh, just uh, just spectators. Um, we have to um, – you can pressure Congress. The one thing that I think a lot of people don't fully understand is the political system is deeply responsive. Sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not. The founders had their concerns about that because the passions and emotions of the people they thought could 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 uh, get us into trouble. At the same time, if enough people stand up and make their case uh, to their elected representatives for what they care for, then those people will will respond. You can think about it of what can be done at a national, state, and a local level. And I'll tell you, there's one thing that I argue in the book, which I think probably does not get enough attention. Um, I think that there is there is a, 
misunderstanding out and about in the land, which is that our pol- political system is broken, but our but our country is not. And in fact, I think that our politics is broken and angry because our country is broken and angry. And in a sense, politics is one of the stages in which that plays itself out. And so what that requires of us is that we have to become individually sort of healing agents uh, in our communities and in our individual lives. We have to venture out of our ideological bubbles. We need to begin to listen to people who have views different than ours. So Change the channel. Yeah, exactly, to change the channel. And and I give some examples of people who are very strong pro-Trump supporters. I have this in the book where I've had exchanges, including with some radio talk show hosts, um, and uh, back and forth. And I could tell in our exchange how it became very heated. And at one point, because of a piece I had written actually in the New York Times criticizing Trump for having fired James Comey, that elicited a back and forth with, with, a, with a person I know. And I could just tell it was getting he was getting angrier and and uh, pretty soon he was making some some personal charges against me my first inclination michael was to write like a 10 page point by point rebuttal and leave him in a smoldering ruin for all the things that he had gotten wrong and i thought better of it and i i thought this is not going to be productive and all it's going to do is is uh harden his views and mine and it's going to make him less likely not more likely to listen to me so i wrote it another note to him and i said look let me not let me set aside what you said about me i'm happy to answer those things if you want but let me tell you as best i can why i think we're talking past each other let me tell you how i think you view me and the trump moment and let me tell you how i view it and why i think we're 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 not connecting and i did that in as objective a way as i could and that elicited a a very fascinating response where he said he said it was like a light bulb going on and that created a kind of dialogue that we had. And so I had a way to reach him. He had a way to reach me. And even though we disagree on Trump, we're still in touch and we're able to help each other see things that we otherwise might not see. So that's part of it. And one other thing, and this is just a broader point, but it's, I, I just think it's a deeply in, important one, um, which is that we have to understand what politics rightly understood is what's what is the then that's what i try and do in in the book what's the role of faith in politics i have a chapter on that why does faith go off the rails so easily why are moderation and compromise and civility democratic virtues that are worth defending how are they misunderstood why are they in fact strong virtues not not weak virtues why does democracy require that as we were talking about earlier we honor the culture of words so part of what i I try and do in this book um, is is to explain what politics is and then why it matters, just back to what I was saying earlier, why we can't give up on it. We need historical no doubt. context. We, we have to understand that we've been through harder times before and we, we can get out of this tailspin. Peter, the book is titled The Death of Politics, How to Heal Our Frayed Republic After Trump. I know my audience will really find it thought-provoking, and I thank you for coming back to the program to discuss it. You're good to have had me on. I always enjoy the conversation. Thanks. Speak to you soon. That's Peter Wenner. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.